Today's message, as we go through the values of Grace Covenant, we're talking about the importance of community. Specifically, the importance of community for the mission. And then we're going to talk about the necessary, uh, the necessary component of the Holy Spirit in these relationships and in our life to do everything that he has commanded us and called us and created us to do. But it didn't start with you and I. It certainly doesn't end with you and I, but it starts all completely with God and God alone. And then he creates everything and brings everything into existence. And then, and then man runs from God and we, we choose sin over righteousness. We choose our own way over his way, our plan over his plan, our purpose over his purpose. And we run from God and it's the pursuit of God through time and through space and through sin and through death and through darkness coming after us to redeem us and return us to that place where we need to be, which is in relationship with him. But he didn't just stop when he saves us from our sin and from the consequences of our sin. Wouldn't it be, I mean, if if he just saved us from our sin, that would be good. Not like good, like ice cream good. Good like, good like amazing, awesome and wonderful good. It would be indescribably good of God if he's just saved us from our sin and he stopped there. He's like, I'm going to redeem you from that. But he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He pours out his Holy Spirit on us. And invites us to come on him, uh, uh, come with him on this mission for his kingdom to be advanced on the earth. But he didn't just invite us to come on the mission with him. He invites us to come on the mission with him and then he empowers us with his Holy Spirit. He doesn't just empower us to be in his Holy Spirit, but he joins us to other people who we can do it with. But it doesn't stop there with our work. He's actually coming back again. And when he comes back, he's going to destroy all wickedness and all, all, everything that is offensive to his righteousness, his goodness, and his holiness, he's going to wipe out and destroy. And that's really good news if you belong to him. It's really terrifying news if you don't. Today we're looking at this church life and uh, the mission of the church. We're going to be looking in Acts chapter 1. Acts was written by Luke, who was a physician, and he, he has this knack for writing down accounts of what happened. He also wrote the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, what he did is he was trying to write an orderly account of what Jesus did in his ministry because there are all these things flying around. He heard all these, you know, your traditions start fast. Everybody experiences the same thing, and then everybody starts telling the same story differently. And then, you know, some people that weren't even there start telling parts of the story. It's like, you weren't even there, and you're telling it wrong. That's not how it happened. Like, who are you? And then, and so, so Luke's like, okay, we got to get this thing cleared up because I want to make sure people get the real, the real deal. And so he writes this account in the book of Luke. And then in Luke, and then in, the, in Acts, what he does is he's like, I, I'm going to document what was happening with the early church because people need to know. There's a move of God occurring. These people's lives are being transformed. They're being changed. The Holy Spirit is pouring himself out. And miracles are happening. People are being saved. And it's, the church is growing. I better write this stuff down. Better make an account of this so people can know what was happening. So that they can know what they should expect to happen in their own Christian life as well. Now, some of it is narrative, which is... This is what was happening. Some of it is, is what you would call normative, like, hey, normal for the Christian life. It's not in, in, you know, you can wrestle with what's narrative and what's normative. But the bottom line is these are the things that were accompanying the, the early church. And I think we should ask and desire for these same things to happen for us today. 
up to and including miracles. I mean, we already believe in a guy who died and rose from the dead. We might as well go all in and believe that he can pour out the Holy Spirit and heal sick people. You with me? Because what you believe is already a little bit crazy. Let's just go ham. Right? I mean, as far as the Bible will let us go, right? Like, don't start believing for, like, weird stuff. But, like, the Bible tells us what to believe, right? So that non-Christian guy you want to marry, like, don't believe for him, right? Like, to be married to as your husband, believe for him to get saved, good. Believe for him to be your husband, uh, there's probably better options, right? We don't want to believe for God to bless our drug dealing business, right? We probably should be getting out of the drug dealing business and maybe a legal job in pharmaceuticals or, or not, right? Just be a reporter or something. Yeah, I blame the college. I blame the students. <laughs> anyway, I was talking about Luke. And um, what I want, the reason I talked about Luke at, at such length is because I want to look in the book of Luke to give, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts 1, and that's the, the primary text that we're going to be looking at. But in Luke chapter 24, we see basically the same, the same thing told a little bit differently, and so we, we can hold them over top of each other and get a full picture of what this moment looked like. So I'm going to start by reading in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 53. And then after I read that, um, I'll let you know that we're switching to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 53. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, he says to his disciples. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Bethany was a city. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Now Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but now you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they've come together, the Lord, uh, they ask, Lord, will this be the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is God's word to us. Father, we love you. I ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to to come into understanding of that which you desire from us and for us as we join together in your most holy name. Amen. So after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples and he started explaining to them everything that just happened. Because they expected Jesus to, to overthrow the Roman government and restore the kingdom to Israel. And they were going to be a great, they were going to be a great people on the earth. They were basically going to take Rome's place as the imperial force. And, and, uh, and Jesus surprised them all by dying instead. <laughs> That's kind of a letdown, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> and he came back from, he came back to life and they're like, whoa. And he's like, yeah. And this is why. And he starts to show them in scripture, the prophecies that he fulfilled. He starts to show them in scripture why it was necessary for, for him to do what he did. He didn't just throw out the Old Testament right? All the stuff that they had grown up believing, the Torah. He didn't throw out Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. He didn't throw out Psalms. He didn't throw out Job. He didn't throw out that stuff. So the Old Testament, we shouldn't throw it out either, right? Because that's the stuff that helps us understand the significance of what Jesus did. I said, that's the stuff. That's probably insulting. (laughs) That is the, that is the word. (laughs) That is the valuable revelation of what Jesus came to bring us. Anyway, I tried to fix it. You know, it's kind of like, you ever seen a magic trick? Somebody do something, did a magic trick for you, and you're like, your mind is blown. And then they took the time to show you how they did it. Right? It's so helpful, isn't it? And that's kind of what Jesus was doing, but what he was doing wasn't a magic trick at all. What he was doing was fulfilling promises that were thousands of the years in in the making. What he was doing is he was saying, hey, I'm going to do this thing, and hey, check this out, I just did it, and hey, I'm going to do some more things. The confidence I have in the Bible and the confidence that I have in the ministry of Jesus now and the confidence I have in the Holy Spirit and what Jesus will do in coming back is because Jesus died and rose from the dead. And we've got a book in the Resource Center. If you question that, it can help you wrestle with the historical facts and the historical uh, perspectives for all of these things. The architectural or the, uh, what's not architecture, the uh, archaeological evidence that supports uh, the, the early church and the things, the reasons that we believe in Scripture. It's got all that, and it's, it's really helpful. But really, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we're all kind of silly, Everything that we're doing right now is is without point. But I have absolute confidence in his resurrection. And those promises are sealed by the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. And so he's he's explaining to them everything that happens, and then he ascends to heaven, and and I'm sure they're like, whoa, hold up. (laughs) What are you doing to us? You know, first you promise us you're going to overthrow Rome, then you die, and then you rise from the dead, and you're back, and then you leave again. You know, it's like sometimes my kids will get real upset because I'll, I'll be gone for, you know, a couple of days and then I'll come home and then I have to leave pretty much right away. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, dad, come on, what's up? Why are you leaving us so fast like that? And I'm sure they were like, Jesus, what's going on? You rose from the dead and now you're just peacing out because Jesus knew that what they needed was the Holy Spirit who was going to come after him. He ascends to heaven and he commands them to go to Jerusalem and to wait there. And they went. Let me just say that it's good to do what Jesus tells you to do. (laughs) And I think sometimes, I'm not even sure why, when the Holy Spirit presses something on our heart or we feel like Jesus tells us to do something, we, we feel like it's an option. Maybe because when Jesus speaks to us, the voice we hear in our head sounds a lot like our voice. And we're like, no, 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 that's my idea. I'm not so generous. (laughs) That's a good litmus for me. The voice that the Holy Spirit speaks to me in 
sounds kind of like my own thought to myself, right? So if you say your own name in your head quietly to yourself, like right now, like one, two, three, right? That's kind of what it sounds like, right? And, uh, but the, when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, he's more generous. He's more patient. He's more kind. He's more loving. And he asks more of me than I would typically choose to give of myself. But that's why we're like, yeah, I really should, you know, I really should be going on a missions trip. I feel like I put it on my heart that I should go on a missions trip. Well, how long has he been saying it? Eh, three or four years. <laughs> Maybe you should try. <laughs> right? Or, you know, I really need to go to church more. Okay, how long you felt that way? A couple of years. <laughs> Maybe you should go to church more. Like now. It's a good idea to do what Jesus tells you to do. It's a good idea to forgive when he tells you to forgive. It's a good idea to repent when he tells you to repent. I had a moment in our fast a couple weeks ago where uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, convicted me about some stuff, about a relationship that I have. And uh, and, and I was like, oh man, I I haven't been right in that relationship. And so, God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to fix the way I relate to this guy. And I was like, good, that was a good talk, God. I'm, I feel good. And he goes, you're not done. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure we're done. He's like, you got to go talk to him. I was like, but I'm going to change my behavior. I'll relate to him better. He goes, no, you need to go tell him how you were wrong. I was like, Jesus, are you sure? Because he'll figure it out. I'm going to be nicer to him. It'll be a lot different than it was. It'll be great. So I went and I started talking to this guy. Opened up, said, hey man, I want to apologize for some stuff that's like a couple of years old, but there was a seed of it and the Holy Spirit won't let it go. And I'm talking to you, letting you know two things. One, I'm going to change my behavior, so I hope you see a change in my behavior. And two, I just want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. All right, that's not the kind of idea this guy gets. This guy is like, oh, forgive and forget. All right. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit's like, no, no, go talk. It's a good idea to do what Jesus tells you to do because among other reasons, it positions you to be blessed by him. The primary blessing from him is himself. It's not the things. It's not the goods. It's him. So he goes and he tells the disciples, go to this place and wait, and I'm going to give you this, this gift. But you've got to be in the right place at the right time with the right people to get it. And then he pulls them together. Let me say that there are a lot more right places than wrong places. If I want to eat nachos, though, I won't find them at the library. Right, JC? If I want nachos, I should probably go to a restaurant that sells nachos. Not real deep, I understand. But there are places, sometimes we we are in the wrong place and we're expecting God to do something, but we're not in the right position to receive it anyway. Why isn't God meeting my need? Why isn't God meeting my need? Because you're spending all your money at the casino. 
You're not in the right place for God to bless you. Why isn't God blessing me with, with a spouse? Why is Because the club isn't the best place to start a long-term relationship. Right? But, but this is the kind of incongruency that, that, or like the disconnect that we experience on the regular basis that we don't always acknowledge or identify. God, I feel so lonely. I've been going to church. Yeah, but for an hour a week, hour and 15 minutes at Grace Covenant in Sterling, <laughs> hour and 20 minutes when I get really off track like today. <laughs> you know, we, we had a Life of Grace uh, class this morning for people who are interested in becoming members of, our, of, of the church. And I, I, I talked about very briefly that, you know, if you come to church every Sunday, and you hang out in the lobby and have donuts for 10 minutes before or after the service, you really only had about 520 minutes of engagement, of like relational development in the whole year. If you come every week. That's why small groups and service are so important. It increases your relational time exponentially. Like, like, you know, we worship together. We did spend that time together, but that doesn't count relationally. It counts spiritually and it's significant. It's not unimportant. It's, it's maybe some of the most important. In this moment right now, as I, as I talk about the gospel, as I explain scripture and as we kind of feast on the word together, it's really significant. There's probably nothing more important than hearing the, public, uh, than hearing the word read publicly. But if you feel detached from relational connection, but Sunday is the only time you're hoping to get it, it's 520 minutes. It's less than 10 hours. In a year, you'll spend more time with Netflix tonight. <laughs> you know, the average middle school and high school student, 13 to 17 years old, spends over three hours a day on getting screen time not related to school. So they'll tap out the, the, the nine hours in three days. But we expect for 10 minutes on a Sunday before or after to override the rest of the week. Just saying, we've got we to be together. Teenagers, if you want to change the world, being exactly like the world is not the way to do it. You're going to need to live a distinct life. You're going to have to live different. And people aren't going to understand the choices that you make. In high school, I was abstinent. Didn't even date, really. Dated a lot in my head. It's <laughs> my girlfriend. She just doesn't know. That's not the distinct I'm talking about. That's weird. That's, we all do it. Right? A whole bunch of people married to actors and actresses in their head. Tell me I'm wrong. Right? <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, it resulted in some name calling, right? Because I, I wasn't intimate, right? It resulted in some not getting invited to parties. But now I see the trajectory of my life and I'm like, thank God I didn't go to the parties. You'll have to live a distinct life. I was that Bible boy, right? Like that one, Bible verses on my locker, 
I don't even know if you could do it anymore. I led a club. It was called the Bible Club. That's how creative I was. That's how cool I was, too. It's important to be in community because when you're in the right community, God shows up in special ways. And there are things that God wants to say to you that he'll speak to you in private. He'll speak to you, just you, when you're in your, when you're in your quiet time, when you're reading your Bible at home, when you're worshiping at home, when you're, you're spending time with God, you're driving, and you're just thinking of him and you're allowing him to, to, to speak to you and you're listening. But then there are things that we can only hear when we're together. There are things that we only understand correctly when we're together. And Jesus put them together. And he brought them together because he wanted to give them something. And this thing that he wanted to give them was so important that he told them to wait for it. God knew what was going to be required of these early Christians. God knew what was going to be required of his disciples and didn't want to send them out unprepared. He didn't want to send them out unshielded, unguarded, out there to figure it out themselves. When they, when they hid, or after he, after he ascended, they went and they worshiped in the temple and they were praising God because it was so amazing and God was going to bless them. And from that I learned that we can worship God and we can celebrate God together like this but not yet have all that he intends for us to have. Because we can have a church service and sing songs and praise God and certainly it requires the spirit of God to do those things. But there's this measure of grace in his Holy Spirit that he desires to pour out on us and to fill us up with so that we can accomplish the more that he wants us to do. So that we can accomplish the mission that he's invited us to participate in with him. He says, you're going to, oh, they, they ask him, is this when you're going to do the kingdom thing and you're going to overthrow them and it's all going to be okay? And his answer is basically, nope, this is when you are going to do the work. It's not for you to know the times of the season, not for you to know when I'm coming back and, and taking care of everything. This is, right now, it's your turn. It's your turn to take everything that I've taught you it's your turn to take everything I've commanded you. It's your turn to take this lifestyle, these values, these purposes out to every corner of the globe. But to do it, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need unique and special power from me in order to accomplish what I'm calling you to do. If you can do it by yourself, you're thinking too small. If you can do it by yourself and God alone, you're still thinking too small. It's going to take you, God, and a community of people together to fulfill God's dream for us and for his church. There's an African proverb that just came to mind. If you want to go far, go alone. Or no, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with others. And I feel like that fits this, this idea that Jesus was saying. He's like, because he could have just given all of his power to one person and that one person could have done it all. But even, even the Apostle Paul, 
who wrote so much of the New Testament, who we look at as perhaps the greatest apostle. God blinded him and forced him to go to someone else to lay hands on him. Paul took the greatest of the apostles and humbled him to another person. If he did it for Paul, certainly he's doing it for me and certainly he'll do it for you as well. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. A word that in the Greek looks exactly like the word martyr, which is where we get the word martyr. They didn't set out to be martyrs. They set out to be witnesses and to proclaim the good news and to let people know this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done in my life. And this is what he promises he'll do for you. And they were murdered for it. Jesus knew what he was sending them to do. And he knew that they were going to need the Holy Spirit to empower them to accomplish it. If they had gone out in their own power, there would have been just a little bit too much of them in the message. You know when somebody brings you a message, but they put a little bit too much of them in the message? Nah. It's like when I tell one of my kids to go tell my other kids something. Hey, go get your siblings. It's time for dinner. Dad said it is time for dinner. Like, get off it. (laughs) The message was, come upstairs, we're ready to eat. Sometimes. Sometimes it is the first one. (laughs) But there was just a little bit too much of your kid in in relaying the message. Sometimes there's a little bit too too much of you in relaying a message. And you know, because it doesn't feel peaceful or joyful or just, or righteous, or patient, right? Am I the only one? I delivered a lot of messages from myself. I was an expert at it in college. In college, I was like, I'm going to be the most radical person for Jesus. And I succeeded. I mean, short of dying a martyr's death and like, you know, but I built a six-foot cross and I carried it around on campus Yeah, that really happened on Holy Week, 2002. And I was like, I'm going to just see if this stirs anybody. I really made a lot of Christians mad. (laughs) Really, they're mad. You're ruining our, you're just disgraceful. You're one of those Christians. I'm like, "Uh, sorry. I carried it to the showers or hung it on my shower hook. I, I took it to classrooms with me, leaned it on the chalkboard, you know, or like on the back of the room. And, you know, it was a strange week, but um, <laughs> had some really neat conversations. You know, and I had conversations with people that I least expected to have conversations. I thought I was going to be a Christian rock star. I mean, kind of in my imagination, I was going to like walk into the student center and they were like, he's the greatest Christian. And the Christians were going to rally everywhere I went and carry me on their shoulders. And we're going to have David Jesus pep rallies. And, you know, everybody in the campus was going to get saved. And, you know, it turned out I, I made friends with some people who hated Jesus. I made friends with atheists that week. And they're like, you're insane. I'm like, so are you. And we're like, hey, all right. Didn't make a lot of Christian friends that week. Not at all. Why are we talking about that? What, JC? 
Oh, yeah, there was a lot of me. This is why we avoid the video thing for so long. Because uh, I just wanted to be able to not deny it all. Now it's on Facebook or anyway, yeah, whatever. It's true, at least. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of me. And, and I would shout people down. And I thought I was like the most righteous person that had ever walked the face of the planet. Because, and that's why Jesus saved me. And I would let everybody else know about their sin. Because I felt like they really needed to know about it. And then the Holy Spirit arrested my heart. And he's like, hey, you kind of missed the point. I didn't save you because you're righteous. You're righteous because I saved you. But you're acting awful unrighteous. And so we got to get the us out of the way. So that the message that we take is his and his alone. Today you're in the right place. And you're with the right people to hear something freshly from God, to hear him draw you into relationship and say, hey, it's time. It's time to follow me. It's time to surrender to me. It's time to walk with me. It's time to carry my name. You're in the right place to receive the Holy Spirit, to be empowered, to take his message out to the earth. And if to the ends of the earth to you looks like your kitchen table today, then take it to the kitchen table. To the ends of the earth tomorrow might mean to Reston or to D.C. or to Maryland. Take it that far. Sign up for a mission trip and let's take, let's take this message to, to Tijuana, Mexico. Let's take it to Los Angeles. Let's take it to Krakow, Poland. But let's, let's do this together. And as we do this together, the Holy Spirit will be faithful to pour himself out, to fill us with power necessary to do the work that he's called us to do so that we can bear his image and get things back where he wants it all along in the first place.